Today's episode of the Sensory Friendly Solutions Podcast on the Unsettled Media Podcast Network is brought to you by Sensory Friendly Solutions. Discover sensory friendly solutions for daily life. To learn more, head to sensoryfriendly.net. Hello, listeners, and welcome to episode 10 of the Sensory Friendly Solutions podcast, the season finale, the finale of season one. It's hard to believe that we're at the end of our first season. If you're just joining us, welcome. If you've been with us the entire time, we thank you. We know you've been there for us the same way that we've been there for you each week. A little bit of advanced news. We won't have an innovation segment at the end of this episode. Crystal and I, who you know very well, will be getting on the microphones towards the end of this conversation for a review. We want to think about what we've heard. We want to leave you with some parting gratitude. And we want to set the stage for what's coming next. For the season finale of episode one, we had a trialogue. I was lucky enough to speak to two really interesting ladies who are delving into the world of sensory-friendly solutions in their own right, in their private practice, in their professional life. The first is Dr. Peggy Bowen. She is a dentist in St. John, New Brunswick, originally from Newfoundland, and is a graduate of dentistry from Dalhousie University. Initially in a group practice, Dr. Bound later opened her new, modern, and fully digital clinic in St. John, New Brunswick in 2015, which she talks about in this episode. Her passion is creating the ultimate patient experience and performing interdisciplinary treatment planning using digital technology, including iTero scanners, the Invisalign system, and digital smile design. Dr. Bone's passion for the patient experience stems from a childhood exposure to dentistry, where patients were made to feel special, educated, and included in the treatment process. This is completely clear throughout the course of this episode that patient-focused design, including sensory-friendly solutions, is precisely what Dr. Bone is about. Our second guest was Laura Caswell. Laura came to us from Halifax, Nova Scotia. She's a performer, director, choreographer, cabaret artist, producer, and arts educator at the Neptune Theatre. Born and raised in Ottawa, she's performed all over Canada, trained in New York and London, earning a master's in performance. She's also studied puppetry, dance, comedy, and singing extensively and loves to explore different types of theatre. Now, given our circumstances, adding Zoom teaching and facilitation to that list. She's eager to learn and grow with different communities and has been the director of education at Neptune since 2017. This also became completely clear throughout the course of this episode. We learned about relaxed performances, how to make performances of all kinds, sensory-friendly and accessible to all. Thank you to Dr. Bound. Thank you to Laura Caswell. Thank you to you, the listener, for being with us this far. 
This is episode 10 of the Sensory Friendly Solutions Podcast. Hello, listeners, and welcome back to the very first segment of the season finale of the Sensory Friendly Solutions Podcast. It's hard to believe we're 10 episodes in on this journey. We've heard so much from industry experts, from those with lived experience, from entrepreneurs, and it's excellent to have brought in two guests for the first segment of this podcast. Peggy, I'm going to get you to introduce yourself first. For those listening who don't know you, tell us a little bit about yourself. Okay. Well, thank you, Matt. Um, well, my name is Peggy Bound, and I am a uh, general and cosmetic dentist in St. John, New Brunswick. I have uh, been practicing for almost 20 years, and I have my own in the last five years, uh, like a, a new, modern, uh, patient-friendly patient experience friendly uh, oriented dental practice in uh, here in St. John. And it, what I, my vision for that practice was to make it all about the patient experience. And maybe that's partly how sensory friendly solutions kind of found me too, because I really know how important it is and how difficult and how much anxiety dentistry kind of brings with it. So being a patient myself, uh, you know, at times or as a child, I remembered that and I wanted to make, um, this practice all about uh, helping patients forget about the fact that they were in a dental clinic. So uh, the clinic itself is all about that. Uh, and there's a lot of things we we do, of course, that kind of help make sure that that becomes a reality for our patients. So we do get a lot of responses that people do feel that they don't feel like they're in a dental clinic. And that warms my heart because that's, again, my main, my main goal, not to do just good dentistry, but to do it with the patient experience in mind. So, yeah, so that's what I do. I also, um, I'm a mom of two, two girls and, um, I love all kinds of things, including, uh, I have new, more new passion, I guess, for marketing and, and social media. So I also do lecturing, uh, for a line tech and also another company where we talk about, uh, you know, how businesses can promote themselves and market in a way that is, authentic and it really uh it's really exciting for me so i have lots of things that i love to do but uh but yeah dentistry is my 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 truest biggest passion for sure i love how you described it as the patient experience in many ways that's been exactly what this podcast has been about and we're going to really unpack that in this episode but before we do that i feel almost an obligation um to do a covid check in uh we've interviewed people all over the world I know uh, I'm also on the East Coast of Canada right now, and we fared pretty well throughout the course of this thing. But it strikes me that dentistry, I mean, a, a completely hands-on industry. Can you talk us a little bit through your COVID journey? What's it been like since March of this year? Hmm. Well, the first few weeks was almost denial, although I was one of the first clinics to close, hmm. um, even before asked to. But we, uh, I just couldn't imagine, couldn't have imagined it. And, and I knew as we got into it, how much it was going to change everything. And honestly, I think maybe April was a bit of a blur. I was quite stressed. I did, however, just dig deep and realize I had a team to lead and I had 
we'd get it together. So what I did is I started having uh, weekly meetings with my team, even though everybody was, uh, you know, really technically not working, try to stick together and try to find ways that we could uh, still reach out to our patients and make them feel like they were there. I know a lot of offices, they just kind of just drop the ropes and just wait until things back, back up. But right. no patient of ours could honestly say that. I really wanted to make sure the patients still felt cared for. We actually even did as a fun sort of like a, a, a hygiene drive, if you will, we created these little hygiene kits and mm-hmm. we did door drops uh, in a COVID friendly way. We left a little note. We had all signed it. We had a, and anybody who was missing their hygiene appointment, uh, we had done like these little door drops and it was a little note saying, you know, we miss you and then we can't wait to see you again. So we did things like that as a team and and did keep up with the social media. Give me a lot of time to look at my systems and um, and really take a deep breath and go, OK, what would I change? I've got the time right now. What would I change? What are the systems? What are the things I would do? differently when I do open how do I want my future to look and so I took that time first to be stressed for a few weeks and then to just dig deep connect with my team and then come up with strategies and ways that I was going to come back stronger better than ever in fact we created a new mission statement in that May and uh, it was just all about you know together as a team stronger better than ever and we we wanted that to be the messaging from internally from how we felt but how we were going to come back. And also we wanted our patients to know we cared. So I can honestly say my clinic, uh, although of course production is down, costs are up very significantly. The connection and the strength and the energy of the team has never been better in five years than I've ever mm-hmm. seen it. And uh, I, I think we're still given the situation where we're breaking records in other ways. So I'm quite proud of, you know, again, a lot of work, don't get me wrong, but just knowing that um, if you've got the right people around you and you're willing to, you know, kind of get it together and ask questions. I've also received help from outside business coaches and, you know, paid for that because I'm like, look, I I think I need to be better here. I think we can be better and we're going to have to change. So let's find out what what we can do. And so we've actually implemented things like um, virtual um, monitoring of, you know, our Invisalign patients. We have different systems and different ways that we communicate with our patients now than we did before. Our patients are almost now, well, we were pretty paperless before, but, but now we're completely paperless. So we have all kinds of cool things that we, patients, I think, actually appreciate. And if COVID hadn't happened, if this pandemic hadn't happened, I would never be where I am. And I'm, I'm in some way very thankful mm. for that. Laura, let's come up to you. Um, as our second panelist, do you mind introducing yourself and tell us where we're finding you and, and where you are now in your life? Yeah, well, where am I in my life? Uh, no, I'm Laura Caswell, <laughs> and uh, I am in Halifax, Nova Scotia, and I'm the director mm-hmm. of education at Neptune Theatre, which is the regional theatre here in Nova Scotia, um, down on Argyle Street, right downtown uh, Halifax. And uh, yeah, I, I loved listening to what Peggy had to say, because I can relate to a, a lot of, of her discoveries through the COVID times. But uh, my relation to sensory friendly and relaxed performance is that um, once I, I, I started my job here in 2017, and that was at a time when I will say sensory friendly performances and relaxed performances were gaining ground and, and people were starting to think about them here in Canada. I think prior to that, I had mostly been in 
the UK uh, and in Europe. And uh, someone from Autism Nova Scotia approached me um, to, to let me know that this was something. And I, I will admit, I didn't really know what that entailed. And uh, right. I went to my general manager at the time. I don't even think Jeremy Webb was artistic director yet. And I said, is this something we want to do? And she said, yes, I think so. And with that, I suddenly found myself <laughs> becoming the, the uh, rep for relaxed performances here at the Neptune Theater as part of my uh, job here as director of education. So it's been quite a journey for me, uh, understanding and educating myself and attending trainings. And if we have time, I can speak about, I attended, I was selected to go to the Access Activator program through the British Council and Tangled Arts. And it was in Toronto in February, end of February. And it's, that was like one of the last, I'll say big things that I did before COVID hit. I, you know, I was flown to Toronto. I was there for a week and that was when things were just starting you know, at lunch, we couldn't share food. We all had to have like wrapped sandwiches. Wow. It was all starting. And and uh, yeah, so I have this wealth of knowledge that I haven't yet had a chance to implement because our theater did shut down uh, as far as doing productions starting on Friday the 13th, March 13th. But I will say we are planning <laughs> to do Christmas Carol uh, beginning next week here at the Neptune Theater. So we'll see how that goes. And will that be in front of a live audience? That is intended to be in front of a live audience. We have also put that show along with some other content online and have digital digital showing as well so that you have the option that works for you. And uh, again, as far as like making these, these situations sensory friendly and relaxed performance, I have to say, and I, maybe this has come up in some of your other podcasts, but it's really interesting to me because COVID friendly is inherently relaxed performance friendly um it's mm-hmm. so interesting because people are like what we have we have reduced audiences and we have to have more people on deck and we have to have clear signage and arrows and we have to send videos so people know how their day's gonna go and we have to like ex- give extra communication and i'm just like yeah that's what that's what relaxed performances are basically so uh i just find it interesting that the link between accessibility in times of health mm-hmm health, general health and safety. It, it, anyway, those are my big, big thoughts. But one more time, I have to say, Peggy's the thing that she said that I can relate to is, you know, production is that costs are up. Um, production is down, but you're still got this great team and everyone's dreaming big and, and being really creative. And I, I love, she also said, you know, thinking about what we can do versus what we can't do. I love, that's what we've really been working on here. Mm-hmm. Um, so you get home from Toronto end of February, the ominous March 13th, Friday, the 13th date. Yeah. Hits. How does your work evolve from there? Is there <sighs> that little period of fear and stress as Peggy alluded to that we all felt oh. and then it's action time or how does that evolve? Well, I don't think it's ended, Matt, <laughs> yeah. but, but, yeah. but for me, for me and my, again, in my job, the reason that was extra, that weekend was very, I wouldn't even say traumatic if I like look back because we were supposed to start March break camp on the 16th on the Monday. So we had all these kids and parents lined up and on the Friday, it seemed like camps were still going to be okay. It really did. Like um, I know the chief medical officer here and I, I messaged him directly to find out, you know, it, it, how things were 
what he was thinking. And he, he was at that time still believing things were okay. And then by the Sunday, it was like, no, we're shut down. So we had to call all these families. Um, we had to, you know, and it was very scary, all the news hitting us all at the same time. And, uh, so yeah, it's, and then in May, we decided here, we would do our summer camps in person. So starting in April and May, I was making documents and researching and figuring out what our safety protocols would be so that we could have, we ended up having about 400 students through in person in this summer. So again, compared to some of the rest of the country, some things were kind of quote unquote normal for me here, (laughs) but with extra protocols in place. So throughout the course of the podcast, and we're going to stay with you, Laura, before coming back down to Peggy, there's been some interesting themes when you interview experts in the field, when you interview people with lived experience, time and time again, thematically things come up, but whether we have sensory processing issues or not, we all feel a sense of overload right now or a sense of stress. And you both alluded to that. And Laura, we're going to stay with you for this, but we point out this stat to all of our guests and I would just ask for a little bit of reflection We're we're putting people on the spot here, but we're all human we're all going through 2020 together. The stat is this. So as of June this year, the word sensory overload <laughs> was being searched over 40,000 times a month on Google. And that might not seem like a very big number, but it's a trend increase of 50% from June of 2019. Right. I mean, we're all feeling this. Um, just as a person, Laura, uh, what are we all going through right now? Oh, it's so hard for me to speak for others. I know that I've had a great yeah. deal of a hard time shutting off. And I, I I don't know if it's a hero complex or workaholic complex. I also will I, tell the world here, I'm, I'm single and it's just me and my dog. So mm. I think the only thing I've had to get me through this is work. And the fear that if I stop it too will go away is, <laughs> is you know, it's there. I know that for myself. Um, but then also, you know, I find myself feeling this pressure to stay on top of everything because I'm also a performer and a creator. And, you know, as soon as someone posts a video of this amazing, you know, song and dance that they recorded and put, you know, part of me goes, Oh my gosh, why didn't I do something like that? I have to create a a video too. Why am I? And, And then it's just like this constant, it never stops. The list only seems to get longer. And then I don't, I've ever used screen time and multiple screens. I find myself sitting there, I'm on my computer. I have the, you know, the latest news broadcast on my phone and, you know, my tablets on the other side where I can write my next list. And it's, it's a lot. And, uh, you know, thanks for bringing this up because, you know, I have to remind myself to go for nice long walks with my, my lovely dog, Bella, to get in nature and just breathe, (laughs) you know, breathe safely. Yeah, absolutely. And it only, the more we talk about it, the only, it only benefits the people listening because we're, we're going through this globally. We interviewed, um, a big time author in the autism space from the UK and they were about to go in to full lockdown until December. Um, we're, we're really blessed on the East coast of Canada, but we're going through this as a people right now. And so this, this search trend is, um, it's something that isn't going away anytime soon. And Peggy, I'm wondering if you could piggyback off of that. I know from the work you've done on social media and the work you're doing with your patients, you'll have some good ideas about what we're all experiencing right now. 
Yeah, I really a good point. Exactly. Uh, like Laura said, I, I was, I have been much more inundated with uh, communication, you know, with all the, the ways and the zoom calls and all the things that we're doing. I actually now, like she said, she walks her dog. I have always pretty much always taken my phone with me uh, on any walks because I like my music and all that. But now I just tend to just go out and I'm like, you know, I don't need any of that. I just want to have peace. So there is, yeah, it's really interesting. I, I think though, that, um, one of the things that we want to do, or for me, like I want to do when my patients come here, for example, um, is I want them to feel like they're in a space that is very safe. And we are considering like, again, their sensory experience. And um, again, just making sure I'm following off where you're going with that. But, uh, you know, I don't, I want to uh, make sure that I'm utilizing all the technology that I can for them. But yet when they come in, I don't want them to feel like, you know, there's so much going on. Like they have a space where it is somewhat more quiet and, and, um, protected from all the craziness that's going on outside specifically though. Um, what, what do you have a specific question about that? How it pertains to my clinic or yeah, and that's the exact lead in Peggy. And thank you for doing that. The exact lead into that is so in your, given that this is what we're experiencing, given that you're seeing patients who are experiencing this, no doubt, yeah. um, we do want to introduce your sensory friendly journey okay. as we say how did you how did you come to to consider this as a big part of your practice going forward because i mean i've been to the dentist lately and i love my dentist but it strikes me that you're probably ahead of the curve here am i right i i mean maybe i i, I really don't pay a lot of attention i do know it's a lot of dentists aren't uh, always like adopting the latest technology that sometimes they look at the technology that they can adopt or that they could invest in as strictly of like, what is it going to give me as dollars and cents? Like what is the ROI on that technology? But for me, I, and I'm going to talk about one specific type of technology here in a second, but I've seen a much different angle on that. And it's that the technology isn't always about like what, how can I profit directly from that? Mm. It's how can I create a better experience for the patient? How can I wow the patient in a way that they will then go and talk about my clinic or, and then refer me other patients who do want to do other work because they've never experienced anything like it. So there's, it's like an indirect benefit. Um, But it comes down to, for me, just a quick backtrack to when I was a little girl, I had always seen the dentist regularly and my, my mom would bring me in. There's no one would ever talk to me. I was always a little bit afraid But then my mom brought me to a new dentist when I was about 13 years old. And that experience changed my life. It changed, well, just helped me decide I wanted to become a dentist. And what that dentist did was not care about the fact that he had a filling to do that day on me. It was that he cared about that I understood what was going to happen and that I felt safe in that environment. So he explained everything. He, I I mean, I I really do remember this, honestly, explaining how it was going to feel and how I was going to feel. And why this was happening and like really directly continued to care about my emotions and my understanding. So education and how you make that patient feel like from an emotional standpoint became like that pivotal thing for me that I was like, I don't, 
when I'm, when I become a dentist, which I walked out of his office that day, telling my mom, I would become a dentist mm-hmm. that, um, that I would do that for my patients. And so the tech, some of the technologies that I've ad- adopted and things I do, well, just little things that I say and do for my patients are one thing, but uh, a recent technology that a lot of clinics could be adopting. Um, and it's, it's, it's called digital. It's like a digital impression technique. So anybody mm-hmm. remembers having more braces or having any sort of impressions growing up, they would this goopy material in their mouth and, you know, like the dentist may be good at taking those impressions, but did the patient have a good experience? So we do everything as digitally as possible. And then with that digital file, we're not only able to create, um, like products for the patient. It could be a crown, it could be Invisalign, it could be um, like a, a sports guard or, or, or a night guard, but it can also be then used to educate my patients. So when I take the time to use it to educate the patients, they start to relax because they become a part of the experience and they become a part of understanding what's going on. So they don't feel like I'm talking over them or I'm trying to sell them something. They help make decisions or we kind of co-diagnose using it. So the whole experience is like education first. And then once they understand, once people understand it takes that, it takes away the fear. And again, dentistry is so anxiety ridden. I really have a major, um, I think I have a really good advantage when it comes to that, because anybody who's adopting this is going to have their patients are going to say, wow, I've never had that done before. No one's ever I never understood it before. I never I didn't realize dentistry could do that. Like I want to change how people feel about dentistry. So it's like part of my bigger why, but the sensory, like making it sensory friendly is, it just happens to fall in there. Like I didn't realize I was doing that. I was just because of a childhood mission that I, that I kind of got started on basically. Mm. For other medical professionals listening who are thinking about walking this sensory friendly road, I'm hearing that adopting technology is certainly important, but also the importance of setting that emotional setting for the patient. And like you said, crafting that patient experience. Oh yeah. In in the words you say, preparing them for what you're about to do, tell, show, do, especially for children, um, you know, offering them a blanket, offering them uh, to turn off the lights. Uh, we, we offer again, like could be head music. It could be, uh, you know, having certain smells in the clinic, or making sure those smells don't enter the clinic. So certain dental materials uh, historically will create a memory or emotional response for patients that really creates anxiety. So a lot of those, we we don't have certain products in this clinic because of those smells, because I know that that will trigger an emotional response. So I'm very like careful to think about like what it's like to be a patient. So walking through the clinic, what do I see? What do I hear? What kind of smells, what kind of, um, is, is the lighting good? Like, is, is this a bright open space? Like everything from the design details of my clinic to how I even talk to my patients. I tell them before I'm going to lay them back. I, I offer them, you know, I make sure they're comfortable throughout the appointment. These are little things, but they're big things. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Thank you so much, Peggy. And Laura, we want to come up to you to talk about your sensory friendly journey as well. And you are more than welcome to volunteer a personal experience if you wish. But professionally, I know our audience is going to be interested in tangled art plus disability. And then also I'm curious and our listeners will be curious about what a sensory friendly performance actually looks like. So start from anywhere and unpack it. Well, I think I already 
as I said earlier, I kind of, I'll just say fell into learning and, and growing with relaxed performance and sensory friendly performances here at Neptune. Uh, Tangled Arts, as I talked about earlier, is an amazing company out of Toronto who focuses in uh, all kinds of different accessible performances. And they brought us together with the British Council. As I said, the people all over Canada, now there's a, there's about 40 of us who are kind of with the name Access Activators who have this wealth of knowledge. And now we have to set out and train. Again, I think all of us um, are at a bit of a stand, got at a bit of a standstill with COVID. And if I, this is one frustration, I'm going to be candid, that I do have about accessible programming and theater right now mm-hmm. is that it, it, it all came to a standstill. And I don't think just here. And one of the main reasons is financial and uh, it's going to mm-hmm. take a while to get that going again. And I find myself, uh, no, I'm not alone, not, not fighting for it, but I, I find myself putting up a hand and going, what about this? What about this? Um, and the new challenge will be how to, now that lots of theater experiences are digital, how do we make sure that is accessible to everyone as well? So that's something we're really working on. Um, I know I'm rambling here. Uh, as far as shows mm-hmm. here, we, you know, we, I, our first show, that was a relaxed performance here was, um, was, um, uh, Shakespeare in love, uh, which, which that whole, uh, development of how we were going to deliver that I did with my right hand person, Julia Topple and with the assistance of autism Nova Scotia. And we, we came up with our visual stories and we put, got our signage, we trained our staff and it went really well. And then cut to Christmas, it was Cinderella. And that was way bigger, bigger audience, bigger experience. Um, and it was really great. The show itself was not just closed to different, like it, it was open to the public, but they were, they were notified that it was a relaxed performance. And the most fun thing is that we don't do applause during those shows. We shake our hands like, like mm. fun jazz hands or a gentle snap. And the, mm. the, the fun thing was watching and the, and talking to the artists at the, after the show, talking to the actors and the stage managers and, and, the way the whole thing hit them all differently. Lots of the actors find that when they do these relaxed performances, they kind of get a little back to like the natural storytelling elements because it's not all about the big lights and the big loud bangs in our big musicals. It's, it's, it's back to the core story. And even though, you know, you, the audience wants to scream, what just watching these shaking hands, it just feeds a different energy. So that's something I'll really take away. Um, I do have to share also when we did Color Purple, there was a group of adults. Many of them had never been to our theater before. And this one person was at the back. And when they, when they were singing, um, just the they could not sit still. And they were just like dancing in their seats just out of joy and energy. And I love that that person could come to the theater, enjoy that show, not be told to be quiet, not be told to sit still. Um, that to me was why we do it. <laughs> you know, everyone should be able to enjoy a night at the theater. Everyone should. Um, so yeah. that's, that's my big takeaways. And again, like, I think that this is going to continue to grow. I, again, Peggy was talking about all the digital stuff. I'm finding that our digital videos and our visual stories, all of those things are going to become a part of our whole theater experience for everyone from now on. And, and it's, it it is education and it is making sure everyone feels safe and it is making sure everyone feels comfortable. So I think maybe we won't have to have as many quote unquote special nights that theater will actually just be, and hopefully accessible to people. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, well, we're going to stay with you. You've both been so generous with your time, but there is one last question that our audience really loves. And we, we zone in on you a little bit. Um, you alluded to this, <laughs> you alluded to this early on in our COVID check-in, but we're very curious about strategies. This is called the sensory friendly solutions <laughs> podcast. The final question, what are your strategies to reduce the noise of the current era? It's a noisy time. It's a loud time. Um, Spill the beans. Are you a yogi? Do you go for runs? What do you do to reduce the noise? Uh, I'm going to be really candid. I'm not doing a good job of that. Uh, these days, it's often a beer and some Doritos. So I, <laughs> I, uh, I'm trying to make a conscious effort to to be more. I used to do yoga all the time. I think, I think now I've I'm at a point where I'm almost scared to start these things like dance and yoga that have meant so much to me because I'll be so sad and scared of where I've where I've ended up right now after, you know, not doing a lot of self-care. So, um, I wish I had, I wish I had more motivational, uh, knowledge, um, Netflix, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but I do, well, Laura, I, I do. I'll fill you in. You what? I'll fill you in. Um, a lot of guests think that I wouldn't like that answer or that the audience wouldn't like that answer. <laughs> But I actually love that answer because it's so relatable. Um, as Peggy alluded to, there's people who have doubled down on their strengths during this, and that's amazing. But there's also people who have felt unable to do so for one reason or another. And so to answer straight up like that and, and candidly, I, I thank you no, for it. No problem. That's what I'm here for. <laughs> Peggy, we're going to end with you. Same question. I know you have some strategies. I can tell already. What are your strategies to reduce the noise of the current era? Well, um, I feel, I, I mean, it's great. Thank you, Laura, for being so candid because no one, I don't know anyone, honestly, who isn't uh, struggling to some degree. I think we, especially now as we go into this second wave and it's getting darker and it's just, it's been hard. I've been taking more vitamin D than ever, honestly, but mm-hmm. uh but I think one of the things that has helped me through um, is just remembering what my good habits are and then trying to make that promise to myself. Like on Sundays, I will sit down and say, OK, what do, what do I really want to accomplish this week? And I do have a morning, like a very fairly strict morning routine that I, again, not perfect because I, I we're all like guilty of certainly not you know, meeting all our commitments for the week. But the old Peggy would have probably given herself a guilt trip about that because I am a bit of an overachiever. I'm like one of these like super highly energy driven kind of uh, high goal setting type of people. But now after the last few months, I've particularly been kind of looking into more like meditation, um, Mm. uh, just things like uh, learning just how to, be okay with myself and just okay with maybe, you know, it's like, Hey, you didn't do that today. Don't give you, you know, how would you treat uh, your friend? If she said to you, Oh, I can't believe I missed my workout this morning. You know, would you, would you be, would you say, Oh yeah, I can't believe you did that. You would never say that. So being a little bit more self, uh, you know, more self care, a little bit more patient with myself and, um, and just being happy with what I can do in a day. So I do really do have a pretty good like morning routine. I walk my dog and work out and I try these things, but I'm certainly don't, I certainly slip 
Um, and I and I have those evenings where I'll just dive into a bag of chips yes. and add a glass of wine. I completely agree. Or just like scroll through Facebook with yeah. the America's Got Talent videos. I mean, honestly. So I I've, I'm a, probably a bit of both. I I think my habits though are getting me through. Like I think that's what's keeping me. And I I, I do have this team to lead that I feel very like a high responsibility to make them feel like they're that that I'm taking care of them. So I feel like if I don't take care of myself first, then I won't be able to do that. And that's a bigger why. Like that's like that would be worse. I'd rather not let them down. I would, I'd be okay with letting myself down before I would let them down. So because I have to get up and I have to show up with that, I I try to put a lot of energy into my routine. And, um, but if I don't make it and I don't, again, this morning, I didn't get there. I, I only got, I walked my dog, but I didn't get my workout. <laughs> I didn't give myself a hard time. The old Peggy would have done that for sure. Mm-hmm. We're all in this together. It's a strange time, but you've both been so generous. Thank you so much for being on the season finale of the Sensory Friendly Solutions podcast. Thanks, Matt. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Thanks, Laura. You too. Nice to meet you. (laughs) Yeah, you too. You're very welcome. Both of you take care. Okay. Bye-bye. Crystal, we're back at the tail end of what is the season finale? Can you believe we made it in a pandemic and all? Yeah, 10, 10 episodes and um, it went by like a flash. Did it ever. And I, I feel so honestly lucky when I was reflecting on the things that we heard being in the hot seat. You and I have talked about how it's interesting being on the camera and on the microphone as who is someone who's technically an industry outsider because I get to hear these things firsthand and guide our amazing speakers through a wonderful conversation. And there's so many things that I've learned and hopefully some things that you've learned along the way as well as an industry insider. Yeah, I have. It's been, um, it's been amazing. The connections, the new connections we've made, uh, the network we've solidified with the mm-hmm. guests we've been speaking to uh, and our audience and their response to the conversations that we've had. It's been interesting and enlightening and uh, really inspiring, um, mm-hmm. I hope, and I think uh, to uh give people ideas and yes maybe some inspiration mm. and some reflection to to find those sensory friendly solutions and for those listening to the podcast and who have been listening the whole way through what you're expecting right now is an innovation segment you're expecting some reflections on the conversation you just heard but what we'd like to do and it's going to be a bit of a whirlwind we'd like to walk back through the first season Um, We've come to a close. We feel like we need to tie a bow on it. So we want to talk about some of the themes that we've discovered throughout the course of this podcast. And we actually have a special bonus episode coming for you, but we cannot spill the beans quite yet. We're very excited to be releasing that in about a week's time. But Crystal, I was reflecting on three themes that I had in mind that, that stuck with me throughout the course of this podcast. I'm guessing you did as well, but I'd like to lead us in with one that I didn't quite expect. There's a few episodes I would point to. So when I was reflecting on this season, I thought, 
okay, I want to do a COVID check-in with our guests at the start of every episode. And it's not to, um, it's not to rehash things we already know. Um, hopefully it's not to talk about COVID fatigue, although that is inevitable. Um, but it was just to check in because it, it applies to the sensory friendly solution space more than I could have possibly imagined. I really, really underrated that coming into the show. Uh, but it came up time and time again. I'd start by pointing to episode two uh, with Maureen Benny. She was the first one to introduce, and it was reintroduced in episode nine with Trish Hamilton, but he, she was the first one to introduce the, the big effects of routine disruption at the hands of the pandemic. What did you think about that? Yeah, I really, um, you know, I went through for, for every guest and, and kind of thought about my the, the key takeaways and what I really... Um, you know, and, and you do, you, you drew a link uh, between uh, Maureen and Trish and one that I hadn't made until, until you just called it out. But for Maureen, what really stuck with me was she talked about the importance of, of being committed and, and finding that consistency in that daily routine. But Maureen used this word. She talked about being fluent in what works. Right. So not just sort of that that strategy that you 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 pull out um, when uh, things are getting out of hand, but that really developing that capacity and that fluency to draw on uh, resiliency. And when I think of uh, what Trish shared in episode nine, um, that, and uh, you know, just ad advising uh, parents to to follow their gut to get answers, but mm -hmm. Trish completely reworked her life at the beginning of COVID to structure it in a way. I'm I'm gonna say now that that's fluent for her, right? She really okay. went back to right what what works um, and not those things, just pulling them out when things get difficult, but really restructuring her, her work life and, and then her home life around that, that concept of fluency. Yeah. And it made me think as well, um, we dug into this new work from home culture that we've built over the past year or so. And it was, it was something that had been bubbling. A lot of companies were doing a hybrid model, but then we were obviously painted into a corner by the pandemic and it's become such a buzzword that it's just known as WFH now in most articles. You know that as work from home. And in episode three, we talked to entrepreneur Renee Warren, not only like Trish, uh, being a parent of a child with sensory processing disorder, but also having to work from home, uh, trying to discover the family balance in all of this. Yep. And you talk about that balance, Matt, my sort of, uh, take home from uh, Renee's just excellent in, in coaching and mentorship shown through. Uh, but Renee talked about down cycles, and and that that to me was something new, just a sort of an, an expectation. We have sometimes this expectation that um, we have to make it work all of the time. And uh, Renee just introduced that concept that we, you know, we do have ups and downs. Uh, she also talked about leaning in. Uh, and I think just reflecting on that uh, in in this time of, of sensory overload, in this time of seeking sensory friendly solutions, um, that modifying our expectation 
that there are ups and downs and mm-hmm. that's that's part of the flow um that really stuck with me i love i listen a lot to adam grant he's also got a great podcast sponsored by ted i believe and adam probably had the quote of the pandemic in terms of the work from home moment that we're in he said you know what we're not working from home in a pandemic we're in a pandemic trying to get as much work done from home as we can. And that was a mic drop because that's what a great quote in finding that balance and thinking about the world we're in right now and and for the foreseeable future. So that was my first takeaway. My big overarching theme is I underrated the importance of that COVID check-in, but it really did do leaps and bounds in guiding us through a conversation around sensory-friendly solutions. So over to you for another big takeaway. Yeah, I um I was really I'm going to say reminded by our chat with uh Stella Waterhouse. Uh Stella she was a big reminder but she had just that perspective for us like I guess why why are we doing this podcast match like what are we what are we hoping to achieve what why do we think another podcast is needed here? What are we? What are we doing? Um, and and Stella just in her chat reminded us about this this deluge of information, right? So part of the sensory overload and part of the the actual noise and just the 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 noise of um, I'll say all the things. Um, she reminded us of the importance of the the need to to connect um, to have clarity and to have some help sifting through things. And that, um, that to me was a, was a big takeaway, right? Okay, so why are we having another conversation in a time of sensory overload um, about sensory overload and sensory sensitivity and sensory friend- friendly solutions is because we're, we're trying to help people sift through it all. Um, and in the structure that you brought uh, to the podcast to have the innovation segment right? Where we sort of clear things and clarify and give some pointed direction um, is needed. I thought a lot about Stella, especially when she informed us that although she's she's cozy in the UK countryside, the country would be going on lockdown and still is in lockdown until December 2nd, at, tw- at which time they're going to do a modified lockdown by county, I believe. But I thought a lot about Stella because there is that thought. There is that thought right now is, is will you become more noise if you throw your ideas into the fray? Or will you become signal, as they say? So parsing out the signal within all of that noise. But it leads me to, this is what first came to mind when you said that. My third big takeaway was the evolution and the acknowledgement of the sector as a whole and as it's evolved. And the way that we learned that is because we got to interview some serious pioneers, some literal industry pioneers from a million plus copy uh, NYT bestsellers like Carol Stock-Kranowitz down to Dr. Winnie Dunn in episode eight, a 40-year career. For context for our listeners, that's 12 years older than me. (laughs) (laughs) You've been working on these topics, so I bow down to Dr. Winnie Dunn from the University of Missouri. Yeah. But that's just, just, it's all to say that what, what you just said and what Stella crystallized for us, the guests on this podcast have been doing that for the industry. Yes. It's been yeah. amazing. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, Dr. Dunn, just again, we, you know, we talk about our senses and um, she just, you know, put it, put it out there. Our, our sensory experience unlocks our brain and unlocks our body. And that goes back to our, our first guest, pediatrician, Dr. Sarah Gander, right? And talking about that mind-body connection um, and and how to how to reconnect with just a, a little pause and a little breath to go into sensory-rich environments, but those that are that are nature bathing, right? Just how that's so, you know, we started with those the fundamentals, right? And what is what is uh, key to that sensory experience and and wrapping it up with Dr. Peggy Bowne and and Laura Caswell um, this week and just those two diverse environments what is going to the dentist and and enjoying a theater performance what does that that have in common and they both talked about they used these words they talked about making the the audience or the the patient making people feel safe and making them feel protected to to be who they are right and and dr bill wong talked about being yourself right the the comfort of just being you yeah yeah going all the way back to episode one is great because the mind body connection is probably something that we cannot underrate in this moment any moment but particularly this moment and you when you bring up the season finale this episode episode 10 i love how it almost took on a scientific bent in some sense when peggy bound said a, a patient-centered design and patient experience these all sounded to me like this is like mainstream now this is something we're all going to be talking about and laura caswell of neptune theater saying making making programming accessible making any kind of experience accessible that made me think, okay, this is mainstream. This is not uh, a burgeoning industry anymore uh, from the time of the early career of people like Dr. Winnie Dunn. This is, yep. this is mainstream. Yeah, this is part of everyday life. And, and Laura Caswell um, highlighted how uh, just making things COVID-friendly in a, in a theater was in many ways just aligned with making things sensory friendly, that there is overlap, again, in making people feel safe and protected and feel like they could just be themselves in whatever environment or experience they were enjoying. Yep. My final major takeaway, and this one, I mean, I hesitate to rank them, but this one, this one may be the most important or the most important takeaway for me. Broadly, I've called it naming it. Um, we've had guests on this on this show. Uh, again, I can't I can't overstate the experience these people have brought to the podcast. Um, naming it for me was crystallized first in episode four from Dr. Bill Wong. Uh, really big Twitter following. Um, really good reception of a great TEDx talk. And he actually, in some ways, self-diagnosed the things he was walking through as a young adult. He looked back through his OT training and learning how young kids play and thought, you know what? 
this sounds like me. This looks like me. And he went on this journey of pursuing a diagnosis. And in episode nine, that came back full circle when Trish Hamilton talked about pursuing a diagnosis for her son. But this ability for us to name things almost sets us free to be able to address them, to take action. And that was part of what the innovation segment was meant to be, is for you, the listener, to be able to take action. So what did you think when we were when we were hearing this? You've known this a long a lot longer than I have, but naming it became really impactful for me. Yeah, giving people the the words, uh, the vocabulary, the the knowledge, the awareness. Um, you know, Car- Carol Stark Kranowitz again. Her her best selling book is is titled um, the out the out of sync child, and that just that. It just makes what can sometimes feel as an overwhelming concept to grasp um, understood and and relatable. And and Carol's you know final parting advice was when we move we are in sync, right? And just that um, yeah that that ability to understand who we are and why we are the way we are is incredibly important. Yeah. I, I put a star next to Carol Stock Kranowitz uh, under the heading naming it because I can't imagine how it feels um, to be the one who in some ways named it for hundreds of thousands of parents. Those are big numbers. Um, but an awful lot of them point to the Ed of Sync Child as, as the first real document uh, that allowed families to understand what they were experiencing really amazing. And there's also uh, my final reflection from Corinne Gagne, uh, adapting product lines like Manimo um, that are that are also bestsellers in the sensory friendly solutions space product wise, is there's innovation in theory, uh, but then there's also innovation practically. And that actually developing product lines is an innovation that's practical. So a big shout out to Corinne and her team for doing what they do as well. And, and that's my I think my final real reflection, Crystal, what's, what's another final reflection from you before we turn to our audience and give them some gratitude? Yeah, I think, I, I think it's a reflection I, I started with, which was, you know, what are we, what are we trying to do here? Um, and uh, Karen does it already um, in her, her sensory tool. She's lying. She's an innovator um, and, and an innovator, not just in creating sensory tools, uh, but really wanting to create solutions that are, that are like a friend, right? She wants that line of of weighted lap animals to be like a friend for children, to be that enjoyable and that inviting. Uh, So I guess if anything, you know, the take home message from the podcast is our hope is that we've inspired people to understand and then to find sensory friendly solutions. Yes, indeed. And to you, the audience, if it was your first episode in episode 10, welcome to the podcast. We hope we have a lot of value in store for you. If you've been with us the whole time, thank you. Uh, we've reached five continents with this podcast, countless cities, countless countries. It's been a real pleasure to be with you throughout the course of these 10 episodes. And Crystal, I'd like to give you the last word as you turn and face our audience. But from me, your host, thank you very much for being here. 
Thank you, Matt. And to our listeners, thank you for being part of our conversations. Thank you to our sponsor, Taking It Global, ensuring that youth around the world are actively engaged and connected in shaping a more inclusive, peaceful, and sustainable world. As part of their Rising Youth Initiative, they're looking for young people who are inspired with ideas and ready to take action through youth-led community service grants. Head to risingyouth.ca to learn more and to become the next Rising Youth grant recipient. The podcast is also supported by New Brunswick Community College as part of the Community Resource Awareness During and After COVID-19 Applied Research Project funded by the New Brunswick Innovation Foundation. Learn more about NBCC's efforts to transform lives and communities at nbcc.ca. The Sensory Friendly Solutions podcast is produced by me, Matt George, is engineered by the great Zachary Pelche, and is part of the Unsettled Media Podcast Network.